So this gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the mentality of a devotee when they come to the platform of chanting the holy name in pseudonym, pure, pure nam. In the beginning, our chanting is uh, namabas. It's a reflection, it's simply a uh, generally a dim reflection of, of pure chanting. But gradually, with some assistance from Krishna's devotees, we can have some entrance into uh, appreciating pure chanting. And just like hearing these prayers and hearing, uh, you know, this discussion by uh, Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, uh, we're given a glimpse as to the nature of, of pure chanting. And it's, uh, it's an impetus to us to throw off our inattentiveness when chanting. Uh, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur relays that inattentiveness is the, is the primary source of all of our offenses to the holy name. And if we can simply become attentive, the other nama aparads will diminish a lot more quickly. So we know these nam aparads, everyone, they're explained when you receive nam initiation. Um, and these offenses can be readily eliminated by play, paying close attention to just the sound vibration of Krishna's name when you're chanting. So we need to settle the mind and we need to practice concentrated chanting. And in the beginning, maybe you can only chant one or two names of Krishna with full attention. One name out of a round or two, you know, two mantras, three mantras out of a round. But and it, it takes a little effort. It's not that this is going to come without some effort. There's some effort there. Uh, gradually, we want the mind to, to just settle down. And if we ignore it, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati points out that one way to easily control the mind is ignore what it has to say. Imagine you have a guest coming into your home and you're really not interested in, in you know... <laughs> taking care of the guest. Uh, in fact, you'd probably be a lot more comfortable if they leave. Uh, in a similar way, if you simply ignore them, they'll get the picture. And So Bhakti Siddhanta gives this as a way. If you ignore the mind, the mind saying, you don't have to pay attention, let's think about this, or let's think about that. Well, you know after you finish your rounds, you have to do that. And maybe we could do that before you finished your round. Maybe you could do that and do your rounds. Uh, the mind has all kinds of little tricks, you know. You know, you could chant and wash the dishes. It's okay. <laughs> uh, clean the house, do the laundry, read your email. 
You could read the scripture and chant at the same time. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. No, that's not the kind of chanting that's required in order to come to the pseudonym platform. So when we hear things like this, that Sridhar Maharaj is giving you a glimpse, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is saying, you know, based on a prayer of Rupa Goswami, all these are expert chanters of the holy name. And once we just imagine what they're saying, Rupa Goswami is trying to relay to our intelligence the fact that when you chant purely the holy name, the sweetness is so profound, you wished you'd have millions of mouths and tongues and ears to relish the sweetness. That's how, how sweet pure pseudonym chanting is. So this reflective chanting, Nama Bas, is there as long as we're in the stage of Nama Aparad, as long as these offenses still enter our mind, as long as there's a tendency to cheat, to, to perform sinful activities on the strength of chanting, to in some way neglect the order of the spiritual master, to consider the name to simply be an auspicious ritualistic thing to discount the, the, the holy literatures study these operads but primarily understand the quintessential ingredient to your chanting which will let them quickly quickly dissipate and bring you to the pure chanting platform is attention when you're chanting Every day, a little more attention. Maybe only one or two mantras. Maybe three, maybe five, maybe a whole round. Imagine putting your mind to rest for a whole round and just hearing. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Nothing else. The mind's settled. You're just hearing the vibration. That's, that's, that's our aspiration. So, Bhagavad Gita seventh chapter. When, uh, you, when you go to Navadvip also in India, you can go to the Bhajan Kutar, the place where Bhaktivinoda Thakur would sit and chant his japa and where he would write those poems about his realizations about the whole name. You have to go to those places. Where it's interesting. We went to the house that Bhaktivinoda Thakur shared with uh, his son, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, spiritual master to Bhaktivinoda, I mean to Bhaktivedanta, our spiritual master. Bhakti Ras and I visited the house. And upstairs, there's, there was a room that was a room, the bedroom of Bhaktisiddhanta, and the room for uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. We were introduced to a gas, uh, was it oil, oil powered fan? Was it oil or gas? It was oil. It was interesting. It didn't plug into the wall. <laughs> so we, we saw that. And then we saw when Bhakti Vinod Thakur chanted. Have you ever seen a laundry chute in a home? You know, that little area? He had a little area built off of his bedroom. 
And it was just a little box, big enough for him to get in and close the door and close out all this. There no windows, just went in this little area off of his bedroom to chant without any disturbance. Close the door, pitch black in there. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. You can imagine, huh? I don't <laughs> did you remember seeing that? It was, it was, did you see it? Did you ever go? Yeah. It's just a little, what is it? It's like a little laundry chute area. Very. No, he'd step up into it. There's just a root, enough room to sit in it. It's about waist high. He'd step up in it. And you could hear because you're right there hearing the sounds right there. Yes. Doesn't he recommend, I don't know if it's Jaiva Dharma, but one of the books he recommends that if you can't be attentive, to put a bag over your head, plug your ears, put earplugs in and put a bag over your head if that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you don't have the, yeah, the little room. So attentiveness to chanting, is he, he very much stressed that. Bhagavad-gita, as it is. Attentive chanting. Keep your mind on attentive chanting. Keep your mind on attentive hearing. The Narthas will fall away. And that real taste. They're talking about a taste. Wow. Bhagavad-gita, as it is. Chapter 7. Knowledge of the Absolute. So we're going to chant tonight. Text 7. Matapartaram nanyat kinchidasti dananjaya mai sarvam idam protam sutre manigana iva no conqueror of wealth there is no truth superior to me everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread amajana trimanandasya janajana salakaya chakshun militanyen tasmai shri gurave namaha in preparing for class I wanted to go back and read the commentaries of Vishwanath Chakravarti and Baladev Vidyabhushan uh, on the seventh chapter. And in doing so, I came across some things I wanted to share with you. Uh, Baladev Vidyabhushan points out that the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita explain the Swarup of the Jiva. Now, when we talk about Swarup, we talk about the spiritual substance, spiritual form. So Swarupa is our spiritual nature, our spiritual form. And if we look at the first six chapters, knowledge of that is paramount in that area. First, understanding that we're not this body, that we are spiritual, we can't be affected by anything spiritual, we're eternal, we're not withered, by wind, we're not going to be burnt. All the interactions of the material world truly have nothing. And our true purpose, uh, even when acting in the material world, is that of performing sacrifice. So there's sacrifices of work, 
karma yoga, their sacrifices of mental activity, their sacrifices in the astanga yoga system, there's control of the mind, and all these things ultimately lead us to truly seeing our spiritual self. So the first six chapters are giving knowledge of the living entity's spiritual position in reality, in spiritual reality. That's the Swarupa of the Jiva. We're the Jiva, the infinitesimal spiritual particle of the Supreme Lord. Now, the next, the middle six chapters are going to tell us, and that's what we're starting on now, tell us of the Swarupa of the Lord, which is the object of our worship. What is the nature of his spiritual being? What is his eternal spiritual self? So the Surupa of the Lord is going to be covered in these middle six chapters. In the second verse of this chapter, Krishna explained his powers. And both Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Baladev Vidyabhusan, great commentators on Bhagavad Gita. In fact, a lot of what we read in Bhaktivedanta Swami's purports to Bhagavad Gita in fact, he dedicates his Gita to Baladev Vidyabhushan. Uh, so he has, he takes a lot uh, from both of these great commentators. So they point out, again, the time of their commentaries, people were more tuned in, and now you are also tuned in to the, to the psychology of devotional service, the, the, uh, the methodology, and also some of the... Uh, uh, different nomenclature and terms. So they explain that in the second, in this chapter, the Lord's going to explain his powers. And understanding those powers of the Lord is acquired by knowledge, jnana. The living entity, the jiva, ourselves, and material nature, prakriti, that knowledge can be attained by jnana. The knowledge can be acquired by knowledge of the nature of ourselves and this material universe. And also, there's understanding of the Lord's sweetness. And that's attained by vigyan, meditation. Now, we, talk, we also talk about vigyan as what? Realized knowledge. The examples there, I can tell you that fire is very hot. And if you put your hand in it, you're going to experience pain. It's going to burn. So I can tell you that theoretically. You can also learn it experientially. That experiential realization is beyond realized knowledge. Stick your hand in the fire and you'll realize that's what, that's what they meant. See, there's a difference between being told this is going to create pain and the pain is going to feel very, very uncomfortable. I can tell you that, but when you experience, that's a different thing. So Vigyan, that is given by these commentators as being likened to understanding the sweetness of spiritual life. We can talk about Krishna 
We could say he's beautiful. He has lotus eyes, bimba-colored lips. We can talk about his form. We can talk about his color of sham, like a cloud, a ribbon cloud, ready to pour forth rain. But we could talk to her blue in the face. But until you see the blueness of Krishna's color, until you see his form, until you see his lotus eyes and his bimba red lips and his curly locks of hair, his broad forehead, all these things are there. Those that have actually experienced Krishna's form, they can tell us. And that's knowledge. But the sweetness is in experiencing that form for yourself, is it not? So there's a distinction. So they point out in, that the Lord is going, he gives when in, in ex- providing us with an uh, insight into his swarupa, he's going to try to convey both, the, both what can be acquired through knowledge and an experience of the sweetness that's acquired through realization, through meditation. Krishna explains, let's look at the second verse. What's he say there? If you can understand this, there's nothing more to be known. Yes? Second verse of this chapter. I wanted to point out something that's interesting in the commentaries of the distinction between the commentaries of Baladev Vidyabhushan and Srila uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. And in their commentary on the fourth verse, there's a distinction in the way they outline these elements. Now, we chanted this verse, Bumir, Apo, Nalo, Vayu, Earth, Water, Fire, Air, Ether, Mind, Intelligence, False, Ego, these eight comprise my separated material energies. Baladev Vidyabhushan, in his commentary, points out that the material elements, both of them say that they, both of them, both commentators refer to the material elements as being 24 total. And they both, they both have this, a, a different breakdown, and I've broken down their different breakdowns. So this is Baladev's. He explains that according to the subtle, the subtle, in other words, the universe expands from subtle to gross. So from the subtle, the ability to perceive sound. Well, there's a carrier within the material world for sound, ether. The ability to feel, to touch. The carrier in the material world for the sense of touch is the air. The carrier for form is fire. We add another quality. Carrier for taste is water. The carrier for smell is earth. These are progressing, and each one has more of the characteristics. Ether just has sound when we come to touch, so they progress one after another. Then he explains that the other three items really need to be equated with pradana, unmanifested prakriti, 
Mahatattva and false ego. So he interprets the verse where we see mind, intelligence, and false ego. He says what we really, what Krishna means is he's referring to Pradhana, okay, which is unmanifested prakriti. It's the potentiality of the material manifestation. That makes sense? The potential before it actually comes, like the bija. The Mahatattva, which is the total ingredient of the material energy. Krishna lies down in a causal ocean. And from that causal ocean. And false ego. And then from false ego, we get ten senses and the mind. The false ego that's relating to the material energy for exploitative energy, for exploitative enjoyment. That desire, independent of our true spiritual nature, brings about the senses to exploit the energy. So we have the five knowledge-acquiring senses. And those knowledge-acquiring senses are able to perceive the elements the subtleties of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell through the gross material elements. Ether, air, fire, water, and earth. So we have the knowledge acquiring and then the working senses. And the mind, which is the regulator. The mind is there. Directing. If you want to taste, then do this. Or don't do this. That tastes bitter. That tastes sweet. That you'll like. This you won't like. Accepting and rejecting. The mind is constantly, it's like the uh, crossing guard telling you, you can go. No, you can't go. According to your desire. And that's going to come out a little bit more further on. So this is Baladevid Yabushan's explanation of the first, fourth verse that we have already went over. Vishwanath Chakravarti in his Sir Arthur Varsini Tika, his commentary, uh, he also comes up with 24 elements. And what we explain applies to his explanation, but then he, in the same thing about false ego, and he includes there the Mahatattva. He doesn't break it down as a separate thing. And then he explains that the mind and intelligence, they're the supervisors and they're above the elements. We'll find that in the commentaries of different sadhus. There may be a differing of presentation and a different understanding or explanation of a verse but truly, you can always harmonize these things. You can always see that there is, there is the same 24 elements, but they're being presented differently by the Acharya according to his sense of the proper way to explain it to us for our realization. It's important to know, when we look at that verse, the fourth verse, 
earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, my eight separated energies. None of those energies are conscious. And then Krishna goes on in the next verse to ref- and what that conscious means there, apara. That's what the commentators point out. Apara. So then we go on to the next verse. The jivas, an explanation above those material elements is what? The conscious energy of mind. Tatasta sakti. That's us. Jiva. We're also one of the energies of the Supreme, but we have consciousness. Whereas those other eight elements, which can be broken down into 24 constituent parts, they're not conscious, but we are. So we're param. As opposed to a para, we're param. Higher. Why? Because we use our consciousness to what? Exploit and enjoy unconscious matter. That's where we find enjoyment is in what? Which is is in dead things. (laughs) I'm sorry, I wish I could put it some other way, but that's where we find our pleasures in this world. In dead matter. In verse 6, we're going to go back one verse before we come up to this one. What is it? All created beings have their source in these two natures. Of all that is material and all that is spiritual in this world, know for certain that I am both the origin and the dissolution. This is also confirmed in the Katha, Katha Upanishad. Nitya Nitya Nam, Chaitanas Chaitananam. That of all that is eternal, I'm the supreme eternal. Everything's eternal. Even these elements are eternal. And you're eternal. But I'm the supreme eternal. Nitya Nitya Nam, Chaitanas Chaitananam. So both Maya Shakti, the Shakti that is the material energy, both the Maya Shakti and the Jiva Shakti, the Shakti or the energy of the Supreme, which is the living entity. Both of them are coming from Krishna. And later in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is going to use another terminology for the Maya Shakti and the Jiva Shakti. That terminology puts it into a different perspective. Shetra and Shetrajna. Remember from last time? Shetra? Yes. Right. Very good. The field of activity and the enjoyer of the field. The Shetra, the field of activity, and Shetrajna, that which enjoys the field of activity. Now, both of these energies, Krishna is saying here in the sixth verse, they come from Him. They are His Shaktis, His energies. And what is He? Well, the Sanskrit term is Shaktiman. Or Shaktiman. M-A-N. Shaktiman. He's the energy man. There you go. That's good. On to the night's verse. Mata partaram nadyat kinchid asti dananjaya maya sarva midam sprotam 
Sutre Maniganaiva. So how, what's Krishna's, how does all this work with Krishna? This is his energy. So how, how are we to see this energy is working? O conqueror of wealth, there is new truth superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls are strung up on a thread. First thing to understand is all this is eternal. The energy, whether it be the material elements or the tatasta sakti, the conscious energy, they're both eternal. Sometimes they're manifest and sometimes they aren't manifest, but they're eternal. They're never created or destroyed. That's an important point that all the commentators point out. Never created or destroyed. However, they appear from the Lord under the influence of what? This time factor. Sometimes he expands. So it's explained. We have some indication. Mahavishnu lies down in the causal ocean. And all the universes expand from the pores of his body. From his breathing. These universes are coming. And he enters into those universes. He lies down on another ocean of his own transcendental perspiration Garbhodak Ocean and another manifestation is there Garbhodak Shai Vishnu and from his navel comes Lord Brahma and Lord Brahma takes all the ingredients which are the unconscious energy that Prakriti and from the subtle to the gross this material world is manifest from sound we get ether from some touch. What comes? Air. Air. From form? Fire. Fire. So step by step, Lord Brahma becomes the engineer in manifesting this material universe. Both the energies are pervaded within the material universe by the Supreme Lord. And that manifestation of the Lord that pervades both the unconscious and conscious is what referred to as what? Paramatma. Paramatma pervades all that energy in every single atom and subatomic particle and Throughout the universe, Paramatma is there in the heart of every living entity. Everywhere. There's nowhere Paramatma is not. He's fully conscious of his energies. Now let's look at how he explains that. As pearls are resting on a thread. He's providing everything's there. When we have a string of pearls, what happens when you take the string out? Chaos. We have the chaos theory. (laughs) Take Krishna out, and what do we have? We have all kinds of theories. 
the scientists having no knowledge of Krishna, they have unlimited theories as to how this universe came about. But here Krishna is giving a simple explanation. It's all coming about because I, it's all resting on me. These energies are coming from me and they are dependent upon me. Here is where it gets a little tricky in coming to a comprehensive understanding of how Krishna's external potencies work and where he is and where he isn't. Well, he's everywhere pervaded as a pair of pervading the material energy as Paramatma, but what exactly is his role in everything? So that's explained as his role is he's the essence. One of the great commentators, he puts it in terminology that we can kind of grasp. If we have gold, that could be a comparison to the energies of the Supreme. But with that gold, you can make yourself a pair of earrings. We take those ingredients based on our desire to enjoy them and we form so many things within this material universe. Now Krishna is giving some inspiration beginning with Brahma though. Yes? Some inspiration as to how this is done. And then he's giving inspiration to us based on our desire. So the next four or five verses of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna begins to explain how we can perceive, how we can come to an appreciation of his energies within the material world. Doesn't he? And he gives us examples. And what's important for us to understand as we read through these examples is the fact that these are various energies of the Supreme. Vibhutis. His potencies. But these potencies, they rest upon him as pearls are strung on a thread. He is the essence of all of them. And that's what comes out repeatedly in the commentaries is Krishna is the essence. So these verses, starting with eight, there's five verses here. O son of Kunti, I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om and the Vedic mantras. I am the sound and ether and ability in man. I am the original fragrance of the earth and I am the heat in fire. I am the life of all that lives and I am the penance of the aesthetics. Punya also means that Prabhupada in his purport mentions that Punya means not decomposed decomposed and also punya means pleasing so he's the pleasing aspect 
of the fragrance of the earth and the heat and fire and the life of all that lives. O son of Preeta, know that I am the original seed of all existences, the intelligence of the intelligent and the prowess of all powerful men. I'm the seed. Before there's any transformation, the essence is Krishna. I am the strength of the strong, devoid of passion and desire. I am sex life, which is not contrary to religious principles. O Lord of the Bharats, Arjuna. Know that all states of being, be they of goodness, passion, or ignorance, are manifested by my energy. I, in one sense, I am in one sense everything, but I am independent. I am not under the modes of material nature, for they, on the contrary, are within me. One of the commentators in 12, to verse 12 writes the following, I do not exist in them, I do not depend on them like the jivas. Vishwanath Chakravarti is always, in his commentaries, he will write as if Krishna's talking. It's, it's very interesting, his approach. But they exist in me, they are dependent upon me. How do we say I do not exist in them. I do not depend on them. I do not exist in the elements. I do not depend on the elements like the jiva. We depend on the elements. Take the air out of the room. Three minutes from now, are any of us here? Huh? Please bring it back. Yeah. Take the sun out of the sky. Take the water out of your bodies. For a few seconds, done, finished. Huh? But they exist. So we, when the jiva is in the material energy, we're dependent on the energy, are we not? Can't exist without it. Krishna, it's his energy. It's coming from him. He doesn't need air to breathe. He doesn't need the water in his body doesn't need sunlight. He's the source. These shaktis are coming from him. Maya shakti, jiva shakti. But what does he need? doesn't need anything. He's God. That's the definition of God. God is that entity who needs nothing from any other source. They are dependent upon me. So, this verse, pearls strung on a thread, trying to get our mind around this concept of the Supreme Lord and how everything's coming from Him, it's all His energy, but He's completely independent, not completely aloof. He has concern. He has that real ingredient. That compassion. Remember that from our discussion of Mother Yasoda? What is that one characteristic of Krishna which reigns supreme? His mercy. Mercy reigns supreme over all the different qualities. So when Mother Yasoda could not bind the rope 
Krishna extended some mercy and then she could bind him. Without his, without the essence of his energy entering into the equation, there's no question. Understanding this verse, pearl strung on a thread, understanding how the Supreme Lord's there in the material universe, but also separate from it, not dependent upon it, but fully conscious of it, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, knows everything that's happening. but not like ourselves. And fully independent to, to act as, as he sees fit. If we can come to that appreciation, especially when it comes to understanding devotional service, what does that mean? How can we practically use this to understand? Krishna doesn't need our service. The fact of the matter is our engagement in devotional service is not required by him. What it is, it becomes an ornament of our real self. It becomes an ornament whereby our true spiritual qualities are brought out. And when our true spiritual qualities become manifest, through the practice of devotional service, we attract the attention of Krishna. Yes. Adarya. Magnanimous. Understand our position. Understand our position. Everything is coming down. All this knowledge is coming what? Down in disciplic succession. Everything is coming to us from Krishna. We, what do we have to give except our heart, our love? That's the position of devotional service. Krishna doesn't need our fire. He doesn't need the water of the Ganges. He doesn't need our intellect. He's the source of all these things. Everything that is our essence, everything that is the essence of this material energy, the unconscious energy, it comes from Krishna. And what happens? Coming from Lord Vishnu, it comes out. And then he draws it all back in to his self. It's eternal. Nothing's ever lost. The energy's going out and being manifested so that the living entity can exploit it for its, his own purposes. And then Krishna is drawing it back in along with the living entities. All the while wanting to give us an opportunity to come to an appreciation of our true spiritual nature. To our, to our swarupa. We have a spiritual nature. We have a spiritual form. And we have a spiritual relationship. And as we put on the ornaments 
of our devotional practice, Krishna will take note of that. And then, once he notices our sincerity in purpose, he's not going to notice all the money, the charity, the austerities. Those are superficial. What he notices is the pure practice of bhakti. Shravanam kirtanam vishnu, smaranam parasevanam, archanam vandanam dasyam, sakyam atmanivedanam. Coming to the platform, step by step, to complete self-surrender. Any questions?